Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, as always, Liam Edwards, and thank you for joining me for this, the end of year, end of 2016, year special thingy-me-jig. You know, everyone likes to do that sort of end of year accumulation of everything that's gone on into one nice, wonderful little package, and I thought I would do the same. I know in the past two weeks I have been sort of silent and there have been no new episodes. I humbly apologize for that. Um, Unfortunately, life being life has got in the way of a few things, and especially considering we all know how terrible 2016 has been, uh, the things that have got in the way have not been the kindest or nicest of things. Um, So unfortunately some family issues and also some personal issues have sort of stopped me from being able to focus upon final games in the past two weeks and because of that there have been no new episodes i do apologize so much for that some people have been incredibly understanding and i've been thankful but if you're like oh where's my new episode uh i i am sorry i know people look forward to the show and i know i should be keeping on top of things but unfortunately i am a one-man show no one else helps with final games it is just me so unfortunately if i am not around to do things this show doesn't get made so i do apologize for that so as a sort of apology oh and also something i was planning for a while anyway is this end of year special yeah i don't know episode unfortunately i don't have any guests this week it is just me and i thought it would be kind of fun to sort of look back on 2016 in the games that have been released and in the show's fashion in true final games fashion Let's sort of imagine ourselves to be going to an island at the end of the year, like all of the 42 guests I've had this year, um, and sent them on their ways to mystical and magical video game islands and worlds. Why not we prep our bags ready for the end of 2016 and get ourselves off to a video game island? I mean, you guys in America, I imagine, are wanting to get off with all the Donald Trump stuff anyway, so... I think it's a fitting way to end 2016 by sending ourselves off to an island. And of course, on the show, we send people off to an island, but we take with them, well, the guests take with them eight games of their choosing. But I wanted to sort of maybe talk about the games that came out this year and what games out of all of the games that launched this year, it although has been a pretty shitty year in general, 2016 has actually been a fantastic year for games. And we've obviously seen you know, fantastic games that were in development for such an incredibly long time come out finally, and this year has been a weird but absolutely, I think, magical year for games, really. There have been a lot of hidden gems as well, and a lot of things that I think people have got excited about. So, let's have a kind of our own Final Games Games of the Year kind of show, but we have to obviously send ourselves off to an island, and to take eight games from this year with us as well. So I have chosen eight games that I have played this year that I would be quite happy to take with me to an island. Um, They range from all sorts of genres, um, mostly in a few genres that I like, unfortunately. Um, But I do want to say before we start this, I obviously have not played every single game that has come out this year. I am very fortunate enough when I do get to play a lot of games, but due to the past two weeks, as I said, I've not been able to do final games, I also haven't touched a video game. So there is some stuff that I haven't played that might have made it onto this list otherwise, that being The Last Guardian. I have yet to play it, and I'm going to play it over Christmas, so 
maybe this list might need to be readjusted uh, maybe in a few weeks' time after I've actually played it. I also haven't played Doom. Um, I don't know why yet, I just haven't got around to playing Doom. I've heard it's incredible, I've played the demo, I think it was fantastic, so also Doom might have made it on here as well. There are obviously a lot of games that are not going to make the list that I have played, um, but there are two that I think stand out from this year that a lot of people may be considering for Game of the Year. So I just wanted to say before you shout at me through the internet after you've listened to this episode that I haven't played those games yet, so I they will not feature on this list. There are also a few other indie games that I haven't played as, as well um, that a lot of people rave about, like Inside and Virginia. I haven't played either of those. Um, so, you know, this is also, of course, my own personal list. Uh, and it's games I think would be worthy for taking to an island from 2016. So, you know, just... <laughs> Hold off from shouting at me <laughs> if you if a game you really like this year or your game of the year has not made the list. So of course we are going to talk about eight games. Uh, it's just going to be me, as I said. There is no guest this time. So if you do listen to final games for my amazing and incredible guests, who I will get to talking about a sort of conclusion upon the year about the show and what's happened in a little bit. Um, if you do listen for the guests, I'm I'm sorry. There is no guests. It's just me, sort of having a nice little chat with you wonderful fellows who have supported me throughout this whole year. Um, so you can turn it off if you don't want to hear my voice much longer because <laughs> it's going to be just me. Don't worry, it's not going to be as long as a normal episode either. So you don't have to put it with me for too long. So speaking of, I just wanted to sort of talk about the show itself and sort of how 2016 has gone in general um, before we get into the, the list of games and we have some fun. Um, 2016 saw basically the start of the show, the start of Final Games. I made a pilot episode and the first sort of demo episode all the way back in July of 2015. But because I moved to Japan, I had to put the show on hiatus and I didn't really think about doing it again um, just because I didn't really have the time. I was readjusting to my new life in Japan. But then in 20, at the start of 2016, in January last year, I... I thought, hey, I've got some time now. I'll start the show again. Let's see. Let's see if this works. Let's just have some fun. I just wanted to bring some positivity into video games because unfortunately 2015 and 2014 were both pretty negative years for video games. So I wanted to, you know, have a positive light and take the people that we read about or that we watch on YouTube or the people who make the games we love. We I wanted to see what they think, what their positive games that have influenced their lives and stuff that makes them happy as they make us happy with their content or their video games and all that sort of stuff. So my first real proper episode with Simon Miller was all the way back in January of this year and that kickstarted off this whole long, what is it now, 43 episodes including this one. And throughout this whole year, it's dominated my life. <laughs> Trying to get a guest every week, a guest of a certain caliber, you know, someone we all sort of recognize in the industry or someone we all sort of are invested to know about the thoughts of, um, it's difficult. <laughs> and I do frantic emailing every week about trying to get people on the show and all, this, all that sort of stuff. And that does take a lot of time and a lot of effort. And because I'm in Japan, my time zone Sync is terrible. I'm nine hours ahead of the UK. I'm 17 hours of 
most of the west coast of, uh, of uh, America and also then like 14 hours ahead of the east coast or whatever it is. So recording this show this year has required me to stay up until the very wee hours of the morning, sat maybe in my bathroom so I don't disturb my housemate and essentially just trying to uh, get the show done for you guys. There have been some times when unfortunately maybe guests have uh, dropped out or something has happened and I've had to sort of reschedule stuff. But this year I think considering it's been pretty solid and because of that the response from you guys has been incredible. It's been absolutely incredible. More than I ever ever imagined. I never expected the show to make it past 100 listens uh, a week, which I would have been just insanely happy about. 100 people who would have continually listened would have been amazing. As we are sitting here now on December 21st when I'm recording this, the show now currently gets about 2,000 downloads an episode, a continual listenership of about 3,000 plays a week. It's just incredible. It's, it's huge for me, and it puts it on top of the iTunes charts almost every week and we've been number one, we've been number two, we've been in the top 10, we've been in the top 20 continually. Every week we sort of sit continually up from when the episode released on a Monday to a Friday in the top 50 all the time, which is just mind-boggling to to even think when I started in January I, I would be here saying these kind of things. Not to mention the fact that this year we were the show was also included on the GQ uh, GQ Magazine's Podcast of the Year, uh, well, Podcast of 2016 list, uh, Stuff TV's Podcast of uh, the 2016 list as well, and also, of course, uh, the show won Best Radio Slash Podcast at this year's Games Media Awards in October. So, yeah, <laughs> nothing can sum up this year other than just the word incredible. All my guests who have had on... I would never imagine I would have got to interview people like Per Schneider, uh, Will Smith, uh, Steve Gaynor, just all these incredible people who I've looked up to for a long time and I've always wanted to sort of question about games and just sort of understand where they come from with games. So thank you to you guys who have listened. You know, you listen every week, you download all the time, you post the show on Twitter, you, you just... Do all these incredible things for me, and I honestly cannot thank you enough. You are amazing. And I just wanted to say a quick thanks as well to everyone who helped me to buy new equipment with my new laptop. That was mind-blowing. You are amazing. Um, and also the people who nominated me for a GMA, and also to those amazing Patreon people who still continually donate to me every month to help me buy new stuff. You've helped me buy a new microphone, new headphones. You helped put money towards the new laptop I needed to buy. You guys have been incredible. And I apologize, I am not a very good person on Patreon. I am I forget I even have it most of the time. And I, I rarely ever, I don't know, update it or anything. But I'm going to try and change that in 2017. So if you do fancy donating on Patreon or you would like to support the show, you can do, and um, I promise in 2017 I'll, I'll do my best to be a lot better in regards to updating it and basically interacting with you guys. The people who have stuck through who continually donate, you guys are incredible and honestly you have my utmost thanks, so thank you so much. Yeah, so this year has been an incredible year for me. The show is doing so well, you guys are amazing, and I hope that going into 2017, we will continue to do so and maybe just get even bigger and bigger as we go along. And if there is anything you would like to maybe see in 2017 or people you would like to see on the show or maybe a change in the format or anything, 
please do send me an email to uh, finalgamespodcast at gmail.com. I read all my emails and I try to reply to all of them I can. I do get a lot about the show. But if you have any suggestions or changes for 2017, um, please do send them to me. Also, guest suggestions, especially if you have that guest's contact info, is definitely welcomed. So, thank you so much. That is basically my summary of 2016. The word is incredible. So, thank you to all of you. I honestly cannot thank you enough. And and I promise next year that there will be maybe less breaks. I don't think there were too many breaks this year. There were a couple of weeks where I, maybe I missed due to certain issues and stuff. Um, but as I said, I will do my best to keep on top of it and try and focus as hard as I can on final games. So speaking of, let's end this year then. Let's round ourselves off. Let's send ourselves away and let's go hide in a beautiful island from video games or a beautiful world. And let's go play some wonderful games in 2016. And let's dive straight into 2016's final games. Beyond the shore, just out of reach, yet the waters ever change, flowing like time. The path is yours to climb in the So, kicking off our final farewell to 2016 with eight games from this year that I think we should take with us to an island. Oh, you should definitely check out over Christmas especially. The first game I wanted to talk about was a game I forgot even came out this year. Due to living in Japan, I saw this game for months and months and months before I could actually play it. And then the English version came out in 2016, earlier this year, in February. And it's a game I absolutely adored. I even reviewed it for a couple of websites. And I think I gave it like a 9 or an 8.5 or something like that. But my first game I'm going to take with me to the island of 2016 is Fire Emblem Fates. Now... I'm a huge fan of the Fire Emblem series in general, and Fire Emblem Awakening was absolutely fantastic, and I could not wait for Fire Emblem Fates to come out, and I just wanted to get my hands on it. Living in Japan and going into my local game store every week and seeing the boxed copies of Fire Emblem Fates was driving me crazy. I just wanted to play it. My Japanese is not good enough, so I couldn't. I had to wait. And when it finally came out, it was absolutely worth the wait. Coming out earlier this year, we had Birthright and Conquest, which were two kind of almost Pokemon-like um, versions. It was Birthright and Conquest, Birthright being the uh, Hoshido side, and then the uh, Conquest being the Noor side, the two warring families, essentially. I have played through both of those versions, and I have adored both of them. I absolutely love them. You can get the game in one package, so I think it counts as one game, just almost you can buy the two different story paths separately. It's very different to Pokemon. People, I think, were initially put off by the two different versions, but to me, I think the two different versions 
are definitely two separate games. They have entirely different gameplay. One is definitely more challenging than the other. The story in both of them is interesting. They definitely count as two games. So essentially, if we take Final uh, Fire Emblem Fates with us to the 2016 island, we're essentially getting three games because we get Birthright and Conquest, which are the two main stories. And then on top of that, we get the DLC pack, which is Revelation, which I haven't finished, but I have played a good chunk of. And it is both challenging exciting and it's awesome to see the characters sort of of the two different families sort of interact with each other on personal levels and the different pairings you can have is amazing after you've played both uh birthright and conquest it's another game by intelligent systems that they're just on top of their game they make some of the most amazing sort of third-party nintendo stuff obviously they are a part of nintendo's team of other developers and you know they made advance wars they're they're such an incredible studio and i just couldn't wait i haven't heard too much buzz about it being sort of that game of the year um and i especially have been disappointed to see handheld lists obviously we've had pokemon go and most recently superman uh superman superman super mario run um but fire emblem face has been sort of i think completely uh, just glossed over, almost unjustly glossed over. Considering the reviews it got as well, it got absolutely superb reviews across the board. And it's definitely not only one of the best RPGs of this year, it's easily one of the best handheld games. So I would like to see it more maybe on other people's Game of the Year uh, lists. It's obviously, unfortunately, it was released all the way back in February, meaning it's kind of out of people's minds a little bit at the moment. We've had so many big titles in the past two months that I've sort of maybe washed away what happened earlier this year. Um, like, Quantum Break came out this year. Like, who remembers that? <laughs> it's incredible to sort of see the games that came out earlier this year, how they can compete with the games that have been released in the past few months. I will admit there are some, most most of the games on this list are games from most the most recent months of the year. Um, so there are a few games I think that might be glossed over when they shouldn't be. Um, but if you have played Fire Emblem Fates, then you sort of know where I'm coming from with this one. It is, a, it's, it's three games in one. It's got such a beautiful story, an incredible story. Um, I absolutely adore the characters. Birthright is a good a way of getting into the sort of series. It's it's quite easy. And um, there are some late, later levels that are a little difficult, but it allows you to grind and get more XP. And it introduces you to the Hoshido family, which are kind of the, the sort of traditional Japanese samurai family. And it's very beautiful. And, you know, you get to meet some interesting characters. But Conquest is when it gets really interesting and you get to side with the Nor family. And the Nor family look like the archetypal bad guys, um, but they are definitely not. They are some of the most intriguing characters I've interacted with in an RPG. They are written incredibly. I, like, I know there was a lot of controversy about the changes between the localization and a lot of people were very unhappy with the localization that came out. I personally think that the writing of Fire Emblem Fates, considering it's a handheld game and some of the emotional scenes that you go through in the game, I think it does it well. I think it does it good and justice and I actually really, really enjoyed it. But Conquest is when it gets interesting and it's a lot more difficult and challenging in a true Fire Emblem fashion. Um, as long as you've got that permadeath on and you're going for it, some of the characters that you lose or you get close to losing can be some of the most nail-biting 
uh, stuff in games. I love the way Fire Emblem sort of works out and the way it gives you that that nail-biting finish to slaughter out a whole, uh, I don't know, encampment of enemies. Um, one of the big differences between Birthright and Conquest is the... The sort of goals, I know a lot of people who have played Awakening understand, um, you know, just basically defeat all the enemies' goals. Um, Conquest changes it up and it may, it gives you like timers or it gives you like specific goals that you have to do. It's a lot more interesting, but it doesn't detract from Birthright being a good game anyway. So if you have yet to play Fire Emblem Fates, please do. Absolutely. you. If you have a 3DS and you're looking for something to play over Christmas, pick it up. It's worth your time, and I promise you, you'll be addicted, and you'll keep playing all the way through until 2017. So, Fire Emblem Fates is the first game that we're going to be taking with us to the end of 2016. Do, do know that none of these games are in order. There is no number one game of the year for me. These are all the games I just enjoyed throughout 2016, and that I think I would take with me to an island based around 2016. So the first game we're going to be taking with us is Fire Emblem Fates. So the next game that we're going to be taking with us to the island of 2016, which in true Final Games fashion, we should talk about right now. Uh, we're going to talk about the island because we're being sent to the island of 2016. I think it's I think it's suitable that we take a, a world or an island from a video game in 2016. And there have been many beautiful worlds from this year. I know a lot of people who have token, token, eh, <laughs> talked about um, some worlds from this year. On the show, we've had, you know, the Island of the Witnesses appeared. We had the Galaxies of No Man's Sky. There have been many beautiful worlds. And with games getting more visually stunning, it's it's definitely impressive to see worlds that have variety and incredible, I don't know, visuals. But I think if we're going to take to the world of 2016, I think we should take a world, we should go to a world, um, a, a sort of place that we've been looking at and wondering about for 10 years. Now, obviously, I have not played The Last Guardian, so that discounts that. So, I I think the world we should go to for the end of 2016, that epitomizes the sort of games industry in 2016. This sort of hype up to these two specific games that, that have been in development for so long that everyone expected to be bad. Um, I think we should go to the island for 2016, the world of Eos from Final Fantasy XV, the huge sprawling world that Noctis and his pals take place in. And not only should we take it just for the, the stunning visuals of the world, but also for the fact that in this world, we can drive the regalia. We can drive the regalia around the world and we can listen to all this wonderful Final Fantasy XV, uh, well, just Final Fantasy tunes in general. And we should take um, a chocobo maybe. We can have a chocobo that we can raise and run across the land to do so. 
I think it's very fitting that for 2016, the island or the world that we go to for final games, end of 2016 special, is the world of Aeos from Final Fantasy XV. So the next game we're going to be taking with us to Aeos. So we're going to be taking Fire Emblem Fates. And the next game we're going to take with us, I think is no surprise to anyone. Uh, it's been chosen, I don't know, maybe six times this year. My guests of the show, we've had so many people rant and rave about it. It's still probably the most popular game of the year, without a shadow of a doubt, with so many concurrent players. I think last time I checked, it was like 22 million players uh, who'd registered to play this game. It's absolutely huge. I imagine a lot of people are actually playing it right now, listening to this episode, trying to get those Christmas skins that Blizzard have released. I am, of course, talking about Jeff Kaplan and Chris Metzen's Blizzard Entertainment game, Overwatch. Overwatch released back in May of 2016, May of this year, and I don't. I I honestly still know uh, uh, probably about ten people who have played it every single day since. It just took the world by storm. It's one of the most intriguing shooters and or a team defensive game in a while. You know, it borrows from so many other games and so many other elements from previous like team-based shooters to create this incredible unique and wonderful um i don't know world and characters and gameplay it's so varied in its gameplay with all the different characters i can't think of another game that has characters that all sort of play the same obviously it's a shooter so they all sort of fire bullets and do stuff but the way they play is so intriguingly, intriguingly different from each other. And the way they, I don't know, act around each other is incredible. The sort of dynamic between multiple characters is lovely. Overwatch has been this wonderful game. I will admit, I haven't played it in a few weeks. I sort of have dropped off as the year got busier and busier. But pretty much solidly from the end of May when it was released back in May 24th, um, up until maybe September, October, I was still playing the game regularly with friends, jumping online, playing every day. It's it's wonderful. It's a, it's such an incredible game. I imagine it's going to be game of the year for a lot of outlets. It's going to be game of the year for a lot of you people listening. Obviously, it did win game of the year at the, the Game Awards, Jeff Keighley's sort of Game Awards thing. It's just... It's this year's standout game. It's the game everyone will still be playing into next year. And probably the sort of esports behind it and the, the competitiveness will continue on for a long time. So I don't think we're going to be saying goodbye to Overwatch when we go for the island. Straight into 2017, we're going to be all playing it over Christmas and back into competitive. Trying to get our ranks up and all that sort of stuff. So the next game that we're going to be taking with us is of course... Overwatch, and I don't think it needs any explanation. Yeah. 
as we pack our bags for EOS, the next game that we're going to be placing into our luggage, ready to go to the world. Maybe maybe we can put our trunk in the regalia. Maybe we can drive to the world. Um, I could allow that. I am in control, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, um, maybe we can drive to EOS in the regalia. And the next game that we're going to be putting in our trunk, ready to go, I think should be Dark Souls 3. Now, this, I think, is the first time, I think, where a Dark Souls game is probably not going to be Game of the Year for anyone. I think all the previous years, even Dark Souls 2, I think, maybe reached Game of the Year for a few places. And, of course, Dark Souls 1 and Bloodborne were both Game of the Year for many outlets in the year they came out. But Dark Souls 3, I think, although an incredible game, and my favorite, probably, in the series, it has just been sort of outweighed by the fact that it's the third in the series, and also this year has seen so many incredibly unique games like Overwatch, The Last Guardian, Final Fantasy, and many others that have sort of maybe ridden the hype. Obviously, once you start making subsequent sequels or there are more games in a series, people sort of tend to lose interest. Obviously, the hardcore fans are still going to play it, this Dark Souls 3 is the highest selling game in the in the series with over 3 million sold but I don't think that's going to make it stand out and considering it it released earlier this year in April um I just think maybe this year is not going to be the year that Dark Souls 3 wins game of the year in any way but I could be wrong I could be wrong but I definitely think we should take it to an island with us Dark Souls has appeared so much on our list, and even Dark Souls 2 has appeared on our list. Bloodborne, also a huge standout from Final Games this year. It was on so many people's list. Of course, for anyone who's listened to Richard Stanton's episode, he had both Dark Souls and Bloodborne. Just huge, huge game. that stood out for so many of us uh, over the entirety of the series. And this year saw the release of Dark Souls 3. Miyazaki's return to the series and essentially his farewell as well. Dark Souls 3 might be the last one we ever see Miyazaki involved in, and what a way to go out. It's, it's as many reviews put it, it's a sort of greatest hits, almost. It, it, it takes elements from all Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2, Demon Souls, and Bloodborne, and puts them into one nice, tidy little package that just works so well. It's an incredible game, and I absolutely enjoyed my time with it. I loved playing through it with my friend, just... <laughs> just roaming through the whole, <laughs> just roaming through the whole world, defeating everything in Lothric, and just basically trying to take, trying to get that Dark Souls crave again. That sort of going back in for more, just constantly getting beat down by the toughest enemies in video games, and standing back up and being spending hours and hours in one bus, and then finally that satisfaction of taking them down as we go gradually and gradually to the end. It's a wonderful game, and one of the best action role-playing games I've ever played. I think it's fitting that in 2016, we take a game like Dark Souls 3 to remind us that there are still those series out there that may not be now they have so many games in the series. They're, they're still quality, they're still huge, and they're still wonderful. And of course, unless you're like... Vidyavati or, or one of those or Epic Name Bro or one of those amazing YouTubers who are incredible at Dark Souls um, this is a game that's going to take you a while to complete 
So it's going to be great for an island. There's lots of secrets in it. There's lots of stuff for us to find. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful game for us to take to us with the island. And also, it could be our final farewell to Miyazaki. So not only should we take Fire Emblem Fates, Overwatch, we should, of course, take the wonderful Dark Souls 3 and hope that we will see more Dark Souls again soon, one day. So the third game we're going to be taking with us to the world of Eos is, of course, Dark Souls 3. The fourth game that we're going to be taking with us to the world of Aos and to say goodbye to 2016. Wow, it's really hard to talk by yourself continually with no dead air. <laughs> I've never really done this before, so I do apologize if I am rambling or repeating myself. It is quite difficult. I, I didn't expect it would be this difficult. Um, but yeah, we are going to be taking a fourth game with us. And the fourth game I would be taking with me to say goodbye to 2016 is a game I don't think many people are going to are going to think would be on this list. I think maybe some of you have even forgotten. Uh, earlier this year, we I had a guest who just couldn't stop talking about this game. He, he, he said all other games paled in comparison so far, but th this was all the way back in uh, February, so there wasn't many games released yet. Um, but it's, sin it's since been released on PC originally, and then in September earlier this year, it got a PlayStation 4 and Xbox One release too. It's the sequel to the incredible XCOM Enemy Unknown, directed by Jake Solomon and developed by the team at Firaxis Games and 2K. It's XCOM 2. Come on. If you've played XCOM 2 this year, you know what I'm talking about. It's one of the most intense, intriguing, and addictive games I've played. You can see a sort of running trend with the sort of Fire Emblem Fates and XCOM, both tactical um, SRPGs that oh, I've adored and got addicted to, and both for very different reasons. Fire Emblem Fates, very story-based, um, getting to know your characters in a different kind of way because they're already sort of set up. You, you haven't made them. Whereas XCOM 2 gives you full control to make your friends, make your family, make your girlfriend, make your boyfriend, and essentially put them to the slaughter and face them off against waves and waves of enemies. One of the things I really liked about XCOM 2 was the fact that you're a guerrilla group this time. The aliens have won. They have taken over the world, and it's up to you to take it back. One of the one of the things I am fascinated with is always the sort of underdog story, the the gorillas going through the jungle to and take little encampments now and again to sort of strategically hurt the enemy. 
And XCOM 2 does that incredibly well. As you fly around on your ship, you're basically your your ship base <laughs> that you can fly around the world, taking all your resources with you everywhere, uh, and basically fighting fires by dropping off at different parts of the planet to save people now and again, or trying to combat alien, uh, I don't know, excursions that are taking over. It's just a game that keeps you on your toes. It keeps you on your toes constantly as you're battling hard to take back the Earth. It introduces new, some new gameplay elements, not too many, but it definitely does improve upon what XCOM Enemy Unknown was doing. It also works a little better but we still get the odd 80% chance shot and you miss that, of course, when you're standing right next to the alien that happens all the time. It's such a fantastic game and one I enjoyed amazingly. I clearly remember some missions from that game that just had me on the edge of my seat as I was trying to get my team out. There was, there was a mission where I had to basically stop the aliens from proceeding onto the ship and just, I could see my men and, and women being slaughtered left and right. And I think two people made it out alive, barely just limping onto the ship. But it was one of the best experiences I had playing games this year. If you are a fan of XCOM Enemy Unknown and haven't played XCOM 2, what are you doing? You need to play this game. It's absolutely fantastic. And now with the console versions, which I've heard are very good... You definitely can. You have no excuse not to check out this game. I don't know how well sales-wise it did, but being a strategy RPG and I don't know, maybe not controlling too well on the consoles, it might not have done as well as I think it deserves to. Um, but I could be wrong about that one. I also hope desperately that I can get Jake Solomon uh, on Final Games at some point. I would absolutely love Jake on the show. Um, he seems like he's obsessed with XCOM, and for him to take what he loved and make it his own project and then make something incredible out of it i think is really interesting so it'd be great to have him on the show and also thanks to him and his team for just making a wonderful game a, a true a game that lasts for such a long time it's an excellent game if you're into strategy if you're into rpgs if you're into i don't know being the underdog and fighting against the uh, uh, overwhelming odds you 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 owe it to yourself to play some XCOM 2 before 2016 is out. I think with the Steam sale coming up this week, you you need to check it out. Just give it a check out. So the fourth game that we're going to be taking with us to the world of AOS to say goodbye to 2016 is XCOM 2. <laughs> So the next game we're going to be taking with us to the final island of 2016, I think is no surprise to anyone. Everyone knows, thanks to the show now, that I do really enjoy Nintendo games. I 
have spent my whole life growing up playing Nintendo games from Mario to Zelda to Pokemon to just everything Nintendo releases. I think their quality and their approach to game design is such a, a joyous and positive one that I just adore what they do. They have their pitfalls and we all know that Nintendo seem to not see the logical step sometimes, but then other times they come out and they surprise us. With 2017, we are going to be seeing the Switch, and who knows, maybe some people next year will be choosing games for the Switch, or will be choosing the Switch itself to take with, take with them to their own islands, but that's yet to be seen. And on July, uh, July, January 12th, on January 12th, we will see what the Switch is like, and we will first see those games, so... I'm excited to do that. And of course, it wouldn't be fitting a list a list of mine <laughs> a list of mine without a Nintendo game. There is only two two technically Fire Emblem Fates of course is a Nintendo game, um, but it's not the you know, it's not the standout franchises that we've come to expect. Now, this game was a toss-up between another Nintendo game that literally released this very week. Um I was going to put Super Mario Run on here because it is awesome and I've been playing it every time I can on my phone. It kills your battery, it needs your data, but it's wonderful and it's very, very good. But I could not leave out this game because this is a game that I also got addicted to. Didn't stop playing until another certain game that came out. Um, of course, I'm talking about the biggest selling game in the franchise's history, selling over 10 million units in its first week. Pokemon Sun and Moon. I have been playing Sun, so technically I'm going to be taking Sun with me to the world of Aeos for 2016. Of course, I could not. There was a Pokemon game that released this year. I'm not talking about Pokemon Go. Talking about Pokemon Sun and Moon, of course I was going to take it with me. I'm such a sucker for Pokemon. I adore the series. It makes me feel eight years old again. It, rem it reminds me of the special time I had with red and blue, and then the incredibly special time I had with gold. It's, it's a wonderful series, and I just could not go to an island and not take a Pokemon game with me. Of course, Pokemon Sun and Moon came out, and they revitalized the whole series. They, they changed formulas that we're kind of getting tiresome, even for a fan of the series such as myself. The the same old sort of drudge through the gyms and the way the world is laid out in a sort of isometric, uh, top-down way. It was, it was getting a bit stale. I'll always love Pokemon, but sometimes you got to change. And to be fair to Game Freak and the Pokemon Company, they have done incredibly well to take a 20-year series that has been kind of the same all the way throughout and, and make it this wonderful, brand-new, fresh-faced uh, title and just series. And it did a lot that makes me excited about Pokemon going forward as well. Pokemon Sun and Moon obviously takes place in the island of Aloha, which is a Hawaiian-themed uh, place, a region, and... Um, which is amazing. It's, the, it's kind of the first time that they're not connected uh, physically. The The map is spread out over multiple different islands and it introduces 81 new Pokemon that all have a wonderful Hawaiian theme or interesting themes that don't follow typical Pokemon themes usually. Um, 
And that's been really exciting to see. I think Nintendo took a lot of liberty. Well, Nintendo, I, I say Game Freak, took a lot of liberties with Pokemon Sun and Moon. And I think it's really worked out and has shown the game is reviewed incredibly well. It's sold amazingly. To think a Pokemon game in 2016, after 20 years, would sell 10 million units in its first week is pretty incredible. All the new Pokemon are wonderful. I absolutely adore Rockruff and Litten with all of my heart. They're some of the cutest Pokemon I've ever seen. My favorite Pokemon of all time is Raichu. So seeing Raichu get like a new uh, Aloha theme is awesome. <laughs> it's it's just been an incredible experience to play it. The whole taking on the trials, uh, collecting the Ultra Beasts and looking for the Zygarde cubes and it's just been a lot of fun. I have yet to finish it, but from the 35 hours or so I've played of it now, it would definitely be a game I would take with me to an island. And to be fair, maybe I should have picked the Alola region. I didn't really think about that. That would be a beautiful region to holiday in. You wouldn't have the regalia, but you could definitely sort of ride the Pokemon, though. Because in, Alo uh, in Pokemon Sun and Moon, you can ride certain Pokemon. I would love to be riding a Taurus across the region in the sun, drinking some coconut milk. That would be great. I didn't think that one through. We'll stick with Aos just for the regalia. <laughs> but yeah, the Alolo region, I highly suggest you visit if you have not yet. If you've saved yourself for the, the rumored Pokemon Stars, uh, the Pokemon Switch uh, sort of, I don't know, version that's been rumored. I would suggest that maybe you pick up Sun and Moon anyway, just in case that game doesn't get released or you have to wait ages for it. It's a game that fully deserves you to play, especially if you have even a passing interest in Pokemon. If you've enjoyed playing Pokemon Go and you need to get more of that Pokemon kick, you, of course, you need to pick up the fifth game, or the fifth games that we're going to be taking with us, Pokemon Sun and Moon. next game on the list for 2016 final games is a stealth game a stealth action game developed by arcane studios and published by bethesda softworks the sequel to 2012's dishonored and di directed by harvey smith it released in november this year only last month but has been making huge waves in the games industry and i've seen already a few people who i know and a few outlets give it it game of the year pc gamer gave it pc game of the year and that is a testament to how good the game is because the PC version of the game had a lot of buggy issues when it first released and it needed to be patched. 
but it's a testament to the gameplay and the story and the world of this game that it still earned their game of the year. I am, of course, talking about the game for PC, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One, Dishonored 2. This game is fantastic. <laughs> I think that's all that needs to be said. I was I was not the biggest fan of Dishonored. I, I didn't really like it. Um, there was something a bit strange about the world to me and very depressing. It very felt very similar to how I feel about games like Fallout. Um, and, and people might be going crazy at me saying that. It's just to me it felt like that. But Dishonored 2 felt kind of like almost hopeful. You you are once again fighting in, against the odds. That theme that I really enjoy is the the fighting against the odds to overcome and be victorious. Um, and this is essentially that. And you get to explore a kind of brighter looking part of the Dishonored 2 world. You, you know, it's set in Kanaka and you can play as Emily or Corvo. And it's a wonderful experience. The gameplay is without a doubt some of the best stealth action the powers that Arcane Studios give to you and allow you to choose is incredible. It Everything comes together in this accumulation of it, no matter what the situation is, there is something in your toolkit that will allow you to either get past quietly, uh, sneak past and never be seen, or to allow you to go hell-bent darkness style and literally destroy and kill everything everyone in the room and that sort of variety and choice is wonderful and going back to sort of intensity and nail-biting stuff in video games if you're trying to do a, a very quiet uh i can't i can't remember what the exact terms the game uses but the sort of peaceful stealthy route where you you don't fight anyone and you no one sees you and you don't alert anyone trying to play through some of the amazing levels of that game, some that take three hours to complete, the whole time not being seen and trying to get all of the side objectives complete is nail-biting and it's incredibly exciting. Trying to find yourself getting out of a room with six guards without being seen and trying to get through the door without alerting anyone is awesome. It's a fantastic game. I, I'm probably going to play through it again. I've played through it once as Emily. I want to play through it again as Corvo and see the sort of differences. But if you have not played Dishonored 2 and you want an action-adventure game, obviously we saw other action-adventure games this year like Tomb Raider and Uncharted 4. I honestly think Dishonored 2 is of a different class. The way the world is visually portrayed, that wonderful art style that Dishonored uses... Also, the notes you pick up and sort of the backstory that you get a bit more from playing the game is just portrayed in an almost Dark Souls kind of way. There's a lot of exposition compared to Dark Souls, but stuff that you pick up or you see in the world can be a lot more intriguing than just a character telling you what is happening or something that's going on. And I think Dishonored goes back to that sort of Bioshock way of audio tapes and all that, but it works very well and sets up the world really nicely. Um... Yes, just play Dishonored 2 if you haven't. <laughs> it deserves your time. Uh, Arcane Studios and Harvey Smith have do, done an incredible, incredible thing with Dishonored 2. They're not the biggest studio, but they've created one of the biggest games of the year, I think. And it really does deserve your time. I, again, hopefully, like Jake Solomon, hopefully, 
I can get Harvey Smith on the show at some point too. It'd be incredible to see what the games have sort of influenced him from when he worked on Deus Ex all the way through to Dishonored and Dishonored 2. Sort of the games that have influenced him or changed the way he wants to portray gameplay. Because you can sort of see remnants of Deus Ex in Dishonored 2 uh, and vice versa. So <laughs> it would be excellent to have him on the show. 2017, let's get these guys on the show. If you know them, tell them and then we can sort of arrange it. But going back to it, you know, we're going to have to take Dishonored 2. The sixth game we're going to be taking to the world of Aos that we're packing in the trunk of the Regalia is, of course, Dishonored 2. Come to the seventh game that we're taking with us to the island of 2016. The game from 2016 that quite possibly might be my favorite. It's absolutely the game that took me the most by surprise. I never expected. I had no interest in it at all. Didn't care. Didn't watch anything. Didn't see a trailer. Just didn't care at all until I read a friend of mine, Kirk McKean's review uh, over on PC Gaming Network or PCGN, I forget, <laughs> but read his review, and he said it was a lot like Vanquish, combined with Call of Duty, combined with all these other wonderful things, and it sounded incredible, uh, but I didn't expect it would be as good as it was. I am, of course, talking about Respawn Entertainment and published by Electric Arts, the game that came out in October, the first-person shooter that deserves your love and deserves your attention, Titanfall 2. This game is hands down the most surprising game of the year for me. If there is a category for the most surprising, Titanfall 2 takes it. Because I don't think anyone, not many people, unless hardcore Titanfall 1 players had interest in this game. Titanfall 1, unfortunately, good game, hampered by the fact that, you know, it was a, an online-only multiplayer shooter with a weird... Uh, infused single player type campaign it, it it didn't work as well as people expected it was a lot of fun technically impressive at the time but sort of died a month two months later Titanfall 2 has a single player campaign I think a lot of people expected it to be an add-on like many multiplayer games we've seen recently similar to the Battlefield games of the old and the past um and I don't think too many people had an issue. And then, bam, it comes out on October 28th this year. And all of a sudden, positive reviews everywhere. People praising the single player. People praising the multiplayer. What's going on? How, how is how is Titanfall doing this? And then you play it, 
And wow, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. What a game. If anyone's played Titanfall and has only played the multiplayer, has anyone played Titanfall 2 and has only played the multiplayer because they they think the single player might be an add-on, go immediately play the single player campaign because I know hyperbole, think it might be one of my favorite first person shooter campaigns ever. It's incredible. And there are some game design elements and 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 just moments in the Titanfall 2 campaign, which is only about five, six hours long, depending on how good you are or, or how much you're rushing through the levels, which are huge levels because of the way that Titanfall works. You're running up walls, you're sort of sliding really fast all over the place. The levels need to be big. And some of these levels almost feel like large sections of an open world because they are really big with multiple paths and stuff that you can explore and have a look at. Um, it is incredible. Anyone who played Titanfall 2, the words cause and effect, I think their their heart will melt and their, their brain will spark game design in their mind. Cause and effect is a level in the Titanfall 2 campaign that blew me away. It's incredible. It introduces some incredible mechanics and it is excellent. I... When I interviewed Super Bunny Hop, George Weedman, I, I was speaking to him after the show and I told him to play Titanfall 2. And as some of you will have noticed, he recently made a video about Titanfall 2 praising it, which is really lovely to see. Um, it's excellent. Titanfall 2 is absolutely superb, even if you just play the single player. But then you get into the multiplayer. And the multiplayer is very much the same. It has the same modes from Titanfall 1. There are some intriguing tweaks now and again. But the maps, I think, this time are a lot more interesting, a lot more intriguing. And some of the some of the gameplay elements that they give you, uh, especially with the sort of upgrades you can have, like the grappling hook or the invisibility cloak and stuff, just change the gameplay completely from Titanfall 1. And it makes it a lot more interesting and skill-based and just more fun. It's so much more fun. And the modes. Uh, I Bounty Hunt is the new mode that they introduced. It's excellent. You have to kill AI um, sort of opposite team members. There are, there are like little grunts that you have to kill. And you get cash. And then if you kill an enemy's mech or you kill uh, another opponent, you get more cash. And then you have to bank that cash in a machine. But what happens is the intensity is that if you get killed, your opponent gets half your cash. So you're always trying to sort of catch someone who's not looking and steal some of that cash and get to the point before they can as well. It's incredibly exciting. I absolutely adore it. And I still play it right now. Uh, I love that game so much. It quite possibly could be my favorite game of this year. I'm not a big fan of shooters usually. I sometimes buy them just to have a few good hours on multiplayer, but I never expected Titanfall 2 to be just that much fun. And Kirk was incredibly correct about it being a, a little like Vanquish, a little bit of Call of Duty, just taking the best elements from some of the best shooters and third-person shooters we've, we've seen in recent years. Um, if you actually bought Titanfall 2 and are listening to this and going, ugh, what is wrong with how is wrong? I don't know. I just didn't expect this game to be good. And I thought it was. It was superb. Really, really good fun. It didn't sell very well, I don't think. And I think that is a crying shame because this is a game that deserves attention from a lot of people, especially the hardcore FPS crowd. 
If you really enjoy your sort of short five to six hour campaigns as well, you need to play this game. You will thank me later when you've played through some of the incredible moments that it has. The partnership between the unfortunately named Jack Cooper, which is as generic as it gets, and his um, excellent little mech, oh, I forget the name of, BT, uh, that's his name, BT, it's it's good, it's good. The, the relationship they build is really good, and there are some moments that sort of make you feel for both of them, and I never thought a shooter could do that. So, honestly, if you can pick it up for cheap, or... You can pick it up in the Steam sale. Well, it won't be on Steam. It'll be on Origin, won't it? If you can just pick it up, do so. You have five to six hours of some of the best shooting and fun you will have. So, yeah. We are definitely, definitely taking the seventh game, Titanfall 2, to the world of Aeos. So here we are. We are now coming to the end of 2016 and we are finally getting ready to send ourselves off to the island of 2016, which is the world of Aeos from Final Fantasy 15. And of course, it would be fitting, wouldn't it, that the last game that we take with us is the game that the island is based from, Final Fantasy 15, developed by Square Enix and directed by Hajime Tabata. And the game that took, what, 10 years? I know it was rebooted halfway through there, but since its first inception as Final Fantasy Versus 13, it's been almost 10 years since we first heard about it. And finally, on November 29th, 2016, we saw it. And much to, the, I think, the delight of most people who were expecting, it's good. It, it was it, it got good reviews, positive reviews that came out. And considering all the problems we saw, even myself, when I played the Tokyo Game Show demo in, in September, it was looking rough, really rough around the edges, many bugs, many problems. But somehow, Square Enix pulled it out of the bag and created a game that really is worthy of the Final Fantasy name. And I know we're, we're a month... A month from now, I think a lot of people are sort of... The initial hype has died down. A lot of people are looking at it thinking it's not as good as they initially thought. It's a game that has a lot of problems. Obviously, Square Enix is still working on it. They're bringing out patches for it that are going to almost change the game uh, quite a bit in some sections, especially Chapter 13. Um, and they're going to introduce new characters and new story elements and just some stuff that probably should have been in the game in the first place. I am not one to be adverse to 
creators and development studios trying to improve their game. Um, I know a lot of people are a bit funny about having already completed Final Fantasy XV, and then Square Enix is sort of going to change it a little bit. Um, but I love this game. I truly do love this game. And I'm so surprised that this is probably tied with Titanfall 2 as my favorite game I've played. There have been so many great games this year, but for me, games stand out in a sort of weirdly emotional side. As you understand, I'm kind of a, an emotional person. Uh, I let my feelings sort of overwhelm me sometimes. And the fact that Final Fantasy 15 was actually a good game and an enjoyable game made me smile so much because... I've been in game development before. I know how tough it is. And there are going to be some people who worked at Square Enix from the very beginning on Final Fantasy Versus 13 who have worked on and off throughout this whole game's development and have finally seen it go through the door wondering whether people would like it or not. And I'm very happy that it was received positively. No one wants a bad game. Uh, there are some people who are out there who obviously dislike some studios or dislike some franchises want that want series to be bad or games to be bad um but i don't think anyone wants a bad game and especially when it comes to a series such as final fantasy that holds a special place in a lot of our hearts um for anyone who's you know people who started with seven all the way through or people who started with six or people who started all the way back with one it's a special series and I think Final Fantasy XV is a very fitting game in that series. It does something that not many games can do very well. We've seen The Last Guardian and understandably the relationship between Trico and the boy is an emotional one that really does work. But what we don't see in games very often is friendship. Real friendship. Realistic friendship. We always are playing powerful heroes who work alone or work as in a, a hodgepodge banded group of people who have to come together to save the world. We don't really have friends. We never really see friends in video games that often. And the bromance between Noctis, Ignis, Gladio and Prompto is so, so wonderful and almost so real and believable that you feel like the fifth member of this group. You, you might be the silent guy who sits in the corner and never says anything, but the conversations they have between each other seem so realistic at times and so very plausible that sometimes it sounds like me and my own friends talking. And I think that gets you even more invested. Noctis might be a spoiled prince, um, but his friends support him throughout and the circumstances he has to sort of grow through and, and come to terms with he would have never have done by himself without the support of his friends. And I think it does something that I, not many other games, I won't say no games have ever done, but certainly a very select few games has done. And that's build proper friendship, not romance, not acquaintances, not family, but friendship. And it's a game about four people coming together who have known each other for a long time to fight back and once again that that overcoming overcoming the overwhelming odds um to stand up and and defeat the ultimate evil it's wonderful it's a game not without its problems of course there are some huge issues with the game and a lot of people are off put by those um 
But for me, I love the combat. I think the combat is fantastic. I love the world of Eos. We are, of course, using it as our base for the island of 2016. And I think all around Final Fantasy XV has been a very special experience that I won't forget anytime soon. And I truly hope that Square Enix can build upon what has happened with Final Fantasy XV to make whatever their next game is in the Final Fantasy series, whether it's Final Fantasy XVI, Final Fantasy XV.2, you know, just they build upon what they've done. Somehow this game that's been stuck in development hell that got rebooted time and time again and went through so many combat changes, so many world changes, so many technologies, actually came out and was a good game is really quite a, a, a testament to how how much that team worked on it and how, you know, Tabata and his team put their heart and soul into the game. And I truly think, I know a lot of people here listening probably didn't like it, but for me, I thought it was very special. And it's definitely up there as one of my favorite games of 2016. And I think a very fitting game to be the final game that we take with us to the world of Aeos. A game that sort of describes 2016 as a whole, a, a struggle a difficult journey through perilous and sometimes hopeless times. Um, 2016 has been a bad year for a lot of people. Obviously, it's been a good year for many others too, but I think as a world and as a, as a race uh, of, of human beings flying through Earth on the, the spaceship we call Earth, um, it's been tough. It's been tough. And Final Fantasy is a game about people pulling together to get through those tough times and to and to overcome. And I think it really does symbolize and epitomize the year we've been through. So, of course, the final game we're going to be taking with us is none other than Final Fantasy XV. So thank you so much for listening to this special episode rambling sayonara party of 2016 with just me, Liam Edwards. I hope you've enjoyed it in some way. It might just be me saying the same words over and over again, but I hope you... Maybe there are some games on this list you haven't played yet. I, I hope that you go and play them because... 2016 was a good year for video games and we saw some truly excellent titles so i hope you go check out the games that you haven't played yet i hope you have a wonderful christmas and a, a, a merry new year and really hope for all of you and for myself that 2017 is much better than 2016 <laughs> and that the games industry continues giving us some excellent titles like we've seen this year we're all excited for Death Stranding, the Switch, um, Red Dead Redemption 2, you know, just all these incredible games that we're going to see next year as well. And of course, I hope you're all excited about final games in 2017. Hopefully we have bigger and more, uh, just as interesting and incredible guests. Um, hopefully we can keep going throughout the year and, uh, you know, keep this train on its tracks and let's just keep rolling on. You have listened for a whole year, and thank you. Honestly, thank you so much. My best, best Christmas present in the world is that you guys continue to just keep listening to Final Games, and hopefully you just enjoy it just as much as you have already. 
I really do appreciate all of the support, all of the help, and everything you guys have given me this year. So I do truly wish you the merriest of Christmases. I hope Santa brings you all the games and consoles and accessories that you want and that on New Year's you have a big wonderful party or if you're not into that you just stay at home and play video games because they are some of the best experiences we can all have and take solace in the positivity that is the games industry and the people who make games and the people who write about games and the people who make videos about games honestly truly celebrate each other celebrate video games and have a wonderful wonderful 2017 I'll see you again next year. Goodbye.